What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Debating Metal. I'm Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris Kay. And I want to get something off my chest before we begin here tonight. Um, I feel bad that we don't consistently provide you, our faithful listeners, with weekly content. Uh, Chris and I try really hard to do that, uh, but there are times when life just kind of gets in the way. And I know you guys expect a show every week and we try to give it to you that way, but you know, there's times where we just can't get it together, our schedules cross, even though we work together and we pretty much have the same work schedule. Sometimes, you know, life gets in the way, things happen, and I have to take care of things at home and Chris has to take care of things at his house. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, we're, we don't always provide weekly content. And it usually kind of ends up happening around like a vacation or like a spring break or a Christmas break or something like that where, you know, for me, I got to deal with my kids. Uh, Chris... I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Um, wow. <laughs> no, I know. You got your family. You've got other things to do. And, and so, you know, it's... it's. Well, I just recently had a, a really fun time because uh, my wheels were stolen off my, my car. Yeah. And uh, I had to deal with that. And it kind of interrupted life pretty much for two weeks so yeah that, that was know. that was pretty that was pretty rough i know that you had a rough time with that um but you know i know we've been silent the last couple of weeks but um we should be good to go for now at least for a little while basically bringing you back weekly content and with that weekly content and now this is off my chest let's introduce this week's topic and it is none other than king diamond and this week it's merciful fates don't break the oath going head to head against king diamond's fatal portrait at the time it was merciful fates last album and king's first album after the breakup of merciful fate we're going to compare the songs from each album give you our assessment and then determine which one we think is the better album and with that said, let me just remind you that if you like what you hear today, click on the subscribe button and we'll try and give you a new episode each week so you can hear our most vital opinions on your favorite metal bands and ours too. <laughs> All right. So this week, Merciful Fate versus King Diamond. Um, so you didn't like Merciful Fate at first. Um. I liked Merciful Fate more than I liked King Diamond's solo stuff right. at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. The, the the first few times that I heard them, I wasn't a huge fan. It, it, it takes, it's, it's like fine wine. It takes a lot of getting used to listening to King's vocals. And that's the most unique thing about him and the band and, and both bands actually. And, if you're not uh, used to that or you're not inclined to hear him sing like that, it, it's something that throws you off because really in metal, there's not anybody else that sings like him, which I think is really not cool. Not really, no. You know? Yeah, he is He has a very unique falsetto. Right. Um, and, I mean, there's other artists that use falsetto for sure, but nothing like this. And then he has a very strong storytelling component to his music where it's not all just catchy songs. Like there's like when you're invested in say a King diamond album, you're kind of along for a, a ride because it's a, it's a story being told. Yeah. He loves so it's, to put those it's a different together. experience. Yeah. It's like if, uh, you know, a horror movie director was writing an album. 
in mm-hmm, a way. Exactly. And that's a really cool experience. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, the the other component about this falsetto, or that's, that's what it was, because we were talking about his falsetto. Um, Ronnie James Dio used the falsetto on, uh, was it Children of the Sea? During in uh, on heaven and hell, but it was just a small little intro, and you know it wasn't the whole song, and so it's it, there's little things here and there like that throughout metal, but to have someone sing, you know, fifty percent to seventy five percent of the time in that kind of style is absolutely unique, and and that's one of the things I kind of like about it. But at the same time, there's there's times where I'm like, does he have to do that part like that? You know, <laughs> so. It's more prevalent in in the King Diamond material, um, kind of, not the first couple albums, but as it goes on, and then when he came back to Merciful Fate, there's a lot of falsetto. Right. I say came back, but when they reformed, because it's not like they were ever playing without him. <laughs> exactly. That would be it. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't be Merciful Fate. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to be talking about Don't Break the Oath, which is Merciful Fate's second album, um, and the, basically the, the final one before the breakup, and then King Diamond's Fatal Portrait, which is his first album after the breakup. Uh, as a solo, and not even a solo artist. King Diamond is the name of the band. Um, it, yeah, it's an extension of Merciful Fate because it's three of the five members. Yeah, it's definitely an extension uh, of Merciful Fate, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, basically, he, he went off, started to write his own music, and then contacted uh, Michael Denner and Timmy Hansen and brought them in. They, they were interested. They liked what they were hearing, and they couldn't call it Merciful Fate because it wasn't Mer- Merciful Fate without Hank Sherman. And um, then they started to, you know, co- or they came up with the name King Diamond because, you know, it, it worked. It, he's the he's the front man. So they ended up creating the band, and, yeah, I mean, we'll talk more about that later, I'm sure. Right. And so... Um, this first, so so basically, don't break the oath. Um, came out in 1984. It was produced by Henrik Lund. Uh, it was released on September 7th, 1984. Released on Roadrunner Records. It was recorded at Easy Sound Recording Studios in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, and something that will will come up a little bit later, but I have to kind of start with this now, is that the music for four of the songs, including a dangerous meeting, was written by Hank Sherman. Two of the songs were written by King Diamond, two by Michael Denner and King Diamond, and one by uh, Hank Sherman and Michael Denner. All the lyrics were done by King Diamond. And and the reason I say that that comes into significance is when you you see the the music and how it was written on Fatal Portrait, you'll understand. So, um, all right, why don't you go ahead and start us off with uh, Don't Break the Oath. All right, so... The, the album starts with A Dangerous Meeting. Um, and what I really love about Merciful Fate, and you, you kind of mentioned at the beginning that I wasn't the biggest fan, but I've really become a big fan. I've really enjoyed um, what what they do uh, as a band, but also what King Diamond does in his own you know solo project. I, I What I love about Merciful Fate, though, is you really get like three or four just amazing riffs per song. You know, and they're they're all matched up very well. It's nothing super crazy, but they, they, you know, they create like kind of Tony Iommi-ish riffs 
where they're very enjoyable to listen to. So a dangerous meeting is a perfect example of that. You know, uh, it's a really good start to the album. Um, maybe a little more cohesive in a sense than some of the material on Melissa, because, you know, they they started off even before Melissa, you know, they released, uh, nuns have no fun. Um, but even before that, when they were just kind of a, a club band, etc. They, you know, they reformatted some of their music. They had, they had certain lyrics that they changed entirely. What was the song that, um, it was actually a dangerous was, meeting. It was, it was called, uh, um, yeah. What was it called before? It was called death kiss. Yes. Death kiss. So like th- this is at the point, you know, a couple years in that they, they really hit a stride and a, and a groove into what they were crafting music musically so whereas in melissa a lot of times there was a lot more riffs per song and he was really guilty with that with say satan's fall where uh hank sherman just kept adding riffs and adding (laughs) because he was like this is too good um this is a little bit more cohesive just to start things off um there's a bit of underlying ambience that's added into the formula, which I really like, you know, stuff that would carry on later into King diamond material and even further on when they would reform as merciful fate. Um, and kind of like the meaning behind the song. So it's kind of a warning of do not mess with forces beyond your understanding. Uh, seven people join in a ritual that ends up taking their souls. That's quite, um, definitive. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of a cool thing um there's a lot of uh you know everything he does when he writes lyrics he's trying to do something that is occult and not necessarily just christianity occult um and you'd see that more later on but this particular album is very much into the concept of satan Yes. Uh, I mean, that was Merciful Fate in general. Um, and yeah, it, it shows itself a little bit more in this one. Um, it, what's funny is, I mean, a lot of, I mean, obviously, you know, our Scandinavian friends and, and people out in, in Europe are going to kind of understand this a little bit more. But a lot of American um, fans that listen to us, are, 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 and in general that listen to metal, don't really get what that part of the world is all about as far as th- you know with black metal and death metal and and, and and melodic death metal and all that stuff and and uh the the song subjects in a lot of cases mm-hmm. um and, and it's weird and it's hard to, it, it's funny to say it this way my wife and i watch a lot of um uh, recently a lot of these shows that are that are about vikings and that area of the world and it's it's interesting because there's always this element of, uh, you know, there's always the good versus evil kind of element, but at the same time, there's this there's this Christianity versus paganism, and the paganism is I don't look at it as paganism, I I look at the religion that uh, that Vikings and people from Norway and people from Scandinavia had not as a as a pagan type of religion, but as that was their religion. It was they believed in their gods, and they believed in their gods deeply, um, much like Christians believe in Christ deeply. And so there was, there's always been this fight 
between those those two factions, if you want to put it that way. And so, well, I mean, pagan really just means that they're believers in a religion that's not the like the most common religions. So, you know, Christianity, um, um, Judaism, Muslim religion, you know, like basically that. Right. But, you know, but when you look at it like that, even then in that area of the world, that was the most prevalent religion. The, 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 the gods, the Odin and the whole Norse mythology that, that, that they believe in. In that region. Right, in that region. But yeah, in a world scope, it's, it's, because right, pagan specifically re- refers to a world scope. Right. So it's, but you know, on the show, you always hear, you know, you're a pagan, you're a pagan. And, and it's just like, mm-hmm. man, they had such a strong sense of, Really, it's a very strong sense of religion, just like Christians here in the United States. So, yeah. you know, and I don't want to get this into, turn this into a religious topic whatsoever, because uh, I'm not going to discuss my beliefs. You're not going to discuss your beliefs. Um, but it, it is, you know, quite obvious what King Diamond discusses are his beliefs, <laughs> you know, and he truly believes that. But he also, he also believes not Satan as a, as a particular entity uh, or or a person like many uh, Christians believe Satan to be, but he believes it more as kind of almost like a uh, an aura per se, or or some sort of thing, but not necessarily a person. Um, because even he's like, there's times where things happen to him where he's like, I can't explain what just happened in my house. Things, you know candles have shut off and things have happened and wind blows in the middle of a thing when all the windows are closed and he's explained that in interviews over the years so he he experiences weird stuff too (laughs) um yeah or so he says as we put it that way um but so that comes across in his lyrics and and i as as merciful face started out they were very they're very much more into the shock value I guess, and then it, it slowly became more about King's way of telling the story. And he tried, you know, it, it was more satanic per se with Merciful Fate than it is with King Diamond, the band, because the King Diamond, the band is more about ghost stories almost, you know. Well, it, it was intentional right. because um, when there, there was a lot of backlash about the, the Satanism aspect of of the music and you know king never wanted to be commercial per se but he also did want to appeal to more people and the goal when switching kind of over from the satanism stuff uh to just a cult in general was to kind of broaden that range and it and it paid off it it worked you know for for that purpose and then when merciful fate was brought back it wasn't until the final album that they've released so far uh nine that they that they brought back some of that that satanism stuff yeah and so you know talking about a dangerous meeting i mean it, it's definitely um i like that song a lot <laughs> so um I, I you know as a song itself in in let's put the subject matter aside for a second it's a killer song um, I love the riffs, like you mentioned at the beginning. You know, you're putting in certain riffs, and they're just really, really good riffs. 
Mm-hmm. And this this song really has a lot of good things going for it. Uh, and it's nice to see, like, if you have uh, one of the anniversary editions of this, you can, when, 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 as you mentioned, that song Death Kiss, which was a demo, it appears on the on the, the remasters and reissues. And you can hear the 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 growth of the song between lyrics and between riffs and all that stuff and, and how much better it got. Um, and he, I like the way in, in this one, he, he spans the gamut in his vocal range between almost a relatively subdued falsetto in this song that I believe is better than his real falsetto, like the, the, the really high pitch. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he uses it in this song as well, but I, I, there's something about that, that mid, I guess, mid range falsetto that he uses in this song that really makes this a little bit better than other songs. Um, and of course, you know, the, this song introduces, even though they did it, even though they did it in, in Melissa, and they, you you can understand that they are a relatively progressive band. Um, you start to see it more and more and more throughout this album. And this song is the one that starts it all off. Yeah, and as as a whole, I really enjoy what they're doing here. I like what um, you know how basically King. At the, it, you know in the early the first two albums, he was staying more in the lower register, um, singing more with his just plain natural voice and then the the falsetto was more of an accent where as time went on the 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 falsetto became more prominent and you know this is a really good start to the album um you know like i said a little more focused so that leads us right into track two which is nightmare and what i like about this track is there was always there's always been a little bit of like Judas Priest in the Merciful Fate sound. Um, the riff is pretty simple, uh, but it has a really fast-paced bass-driven delivery, which I like. Um, I can also see where early Metallica got some of their sensibility in this track. You know, there's there's some definite similarities in Nightmare to say, um, you know, stuff off of Kill 'Em All. Um, the dual guitar solo is really awesome, uh, though it's very short. Um, and there's a lot of like ghostly sounds to the vocals, um, which accompany the dreamlike story of a demonic woman invading the main character's dream. And there's the chant of "You are insane," which uh, really is a great mood setter. Um, when I'm listening to this and that like there's the chant of you are insane. It, it reminds me of something like the conjuring or one of those kind of modern horror movies that take it a little more seriously. And it's, it's creepy. It's, it's really cool. This, you know, this song, it, it's, it's so, it, it, it's funny. Cause it, to me, it's like so different to a degree um, because of the way it starts, you know, with the, the bass drum intro and, and the off time stuff, it, it's kind of, you know, now I know where Testament picked up from, you know, some of the, that stuff on the first album from, uh, or probably or, yeah. from the new order actually. Um, but that stuff like that. And, you know, uh, with King using mostly his falsetto here with touches of, uh, of his normal tone to kind of enhance the point of the verses. It, there's a lot of really cool 
things and elements about this song that that make it so different from a dangerous meeting you know and so that, that's part of what i like about it at the same time it kind of throws you off because you're kind of hoping that it goes in the direction of a dangerous meeting so there's a little bit of a kind of almost like a battle of of wits in the, in terms of the two songs but it, but as this album progresses there's there's obviously some more elements that keep popping up yeah i mean i i think one of the the things that's very prominent is that early judas priest kind of sound to this particular song and it's it it's kind of comes back around a couple times and you kind of see some of their influences um in further songs too i'll kind of mention that yeah as well. I, i've noticed i noticed a couple of songs here that have that kind of judas priest feel to it mm-hmm. like early judas priest yes feel, you know um so the third track is desecration of souls um it has a kind of a moody spoken intro uh with distorted vocals uh, that follows another kind of very judas priest like riff uh the solo on this track is split into two sections as the song kind of takes a slower pace at the three-quarter mark, then returns to the original riff. Uh, the track overall has a more direct, simplistic approach with less varying riffs. I mean, this one's pretty consistent the whole way through, um, but it's really effective about you know telling the the story of of evil tainted land. King, you know what? What's funny about this one is King Diamond. So, I, you and I had this discussion while we were we were leading into this um, this episode. Um, mm-hmm. In nineteen eighty four, death metal didn't exist for the most part. Okay, yeah. so um, the 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 ones that were close to sounding that way were were Celtic Frost, which for the most part um, they at this point they existed. But they were still in their their demo slash EP phase. They have finished breaking up Hellhammer, um, and so Hellhammer, their vocals were a little rough, and so it was the early days of extreme metal. Right, and so what I'm getting at is that King almost his little spoken word intro is almost trying to do a death growl that. Nobody could figure out at that point is, you know, I guess with, with, you know, or maybe the harmonizer didn't exist at that point to change the vocals that way. Oh, I don't know what the deal was, but he wasn't able to alter his vocals the way uh, singers alter their vocals now electronically. So he he just literally did it by, I'm going to talk in a low voice like that kind of thing. And it was really unique as far as that's concerned. Um, it has kind of like... I'm not. I, I'm gonna regret saying this. It has kind of like a Cookie Monster esque sound to it, right? And that's that's always been the joke about death metal that they sound like a Cookie Monster, but but even more so. Well, in this in one, this it sounds like the real Cookie Monster because the Cookie Monster never really. It was just a guy altering his voice. It wasn't altered electronically. Yeah, but I I like it because it it is there's there's always a cheesiness factor to to king diamond where like and i don't mean that in a negative way whatsoever i mean it in it like when you're watching horror films if you're a horror film aficionado like there is an aspect of the cheesiness of horror films that you enjoy it's it's kind of celebrated in iron maiden as well oh yeah you know in a in a completely different genre of metal um so there is a there's a factor of that cheese 
in King Diamond's music, but it's good. It's it's enjoyable, and it it just plays into that occult kind of aspect of the music. Oh yeah, I and mean, absolutely. And and I'm not trying to say anything negative about. It. I was just trying to express that it no, was, know, it was something know. more like you know it was the beginning of that that whole era, mm-hmm. and. You know, uh, it was primitive. Exactly. Way, yeah. Like, and yeah. and it's cool. I mean, the song is is to me is pretty cool. Um, I like how it changes paces and it, how it changes its timing and goes back and forth. Um, and what's even more unique about King's vocals throughout the rest of the song is that he really sings mostly in his natural voice, with using the falsetto more as an enhancer or almost yes. you know instead of being the main way to sing it and that's what i, I kind of like that song um and the funny thing about this and, and this is just a, a again a production thing for me is this song ends with the full band you know banging away at the riffs and the and the drums and all that stuff sort of like you end a song in concert right and I don't know whose idea it was, but I think the engineer just pulled the faders a little too quickly, and the song, to me, ends rather abruptly. It doesn't have a natural fade out. I mean, it literally fades in like less than 10 seconds. <laughs> and on this, and yeah. it's, it's just a weird thing for me. Like when you, when, After not having listened to it for so long, and then I threw on the record a couple weekends ago, and I listened to it, and I'm like, whoa. Is that is that correct? Is this right? Did they really release it like that? Is my record a bootleg? <laughs> Let me see this thing here. You know, it's like uh, okay, yeah, that's the way they made it because it's on the CD too. So, but it was it was just kind of odd for me. But the song is cool. I like the song a lot. I actually do like when songs kind of end abruptly. I, I don't know why, but there's something about it where it's just like, yeah, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so that takes us into Night of the Unborn. Uh, the track is fully falsetto, aside from two and a half lines. Um, so kind of the opposite of Desecration of Souls. Uh, it, it actually reminds me at times of Black Sabbath's songwriting on Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, especially a national acrobat. There's some similarities there. I'm not saying they're the same riff by any means, but the, if you listen to it, you go, okay, I kind of feel that vibe. Um I, I have to say the bass on this track is just simply amazing. I love when a bass player doesn't just play a beat in the background, but actually contributes an equal and defining sound to a song. Um, it has a very ghostly vibe to it. Um, something, you know, about something unborn re-entering our realm that shouldn't be here. It's a pretty cool track. It is cool. It's, you know, it starts off with this uh, Hank Sherman guitar solo, and it almost seems a little chaotic at first. Um, but then, you know, it's it's a ba- basically a very progressive song. There's a lot of different, you know, um, you know, off beats and and you know on the drumming and all that stuff. And it, like you said, it's mostly in saying in his falsetto. It's a it's a different song. And you know, you're coming from a song like Desecration of Souls, which is relatively straightforward um Mm -hmm. so it's almost like right now every other song is is doing something like for instance a dangerous meeting for the most part was relatively straightforward until it got to the end where it it, it slowed down and it had that little um church bell thing going but it's relatively straightforward desecration of souls relatively straightforward but nightmare and night of the unborn are both a little bit more on the progressive side, a lot of you know time changes and stuff like that. And nothing wrong with that. It's just now they're altering. So you kind of see a pattern developing here 
on this album. Yeah, and and one thing I wanted to say was that you and you brought up the the solo at the beginning and how it kind of is chaotic. It really does. I think King, like when you know writing these songs, King has an influence in saying, you know, this this um, is a kind of a story about this you know creature entering our our realm that chaos at the beginning really plays into the story so it it makes sense like not just from a, a music standpoint of sounding cool but like it really does enhance the story in a way yeah so i i like that aspect of it all right that takes us to the midpoint of the album the oath and this is the epic of the album much in the way that melissa was on the first album even though that was at the end uh, it comes in at 7 minutes and 31 seconds. Uh, being the first track on side 2, it feels much like an opener, starting off with some ambient sounds of a storm. Uh, the lyrics simply are that of an oath to Satan and renouncement of the Christian faith. Uh, the drums are very impactful along with the bass. The solo section just really feels like a journey. And the break mid-solo for a drum uh, you know, drum and bass call and response is just fantastic. Like it's it's cool how they kind of go back and forth. Uh, the dual guitar riff near the end is one of my favorites on the album, uh, followed by another great solo and harmony to end the track. It, this is this really is kind of the epic here. It is, and I agree with you on everything that you've said about the song. Um, there's not a lot more that I can add to this. Um, I do like. Um, you know, it has that quiet intro. It's got the ambient storm that's going on, the, the, the spoken word prayer or oath, you know, whatever is going on at that point. Um, so, you know, and then once the music starts, it's got a really cool riff and the drumming is, 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 is done well. Um, you know, and of course it's got, you know, time changes and other progressive elements that is now become the signature of the album. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot more progressiveness on this than there was on Melissa. Even though mm -hmm. you got a song like Satan's Fall that's got you know ten thousand riffs in it, that doesn't necessarily make it progressive. It just makes it no it, you have it, ten thousand riffs in it. <laughs> it's just really focused, and that's right. the difference. Like it, I, I love Satan's Fall. I think it's an awesome track, um, but it it does have the ability if you're not just really into just guitar riffs mm -hmm. and you want something a little more catchy it's it's gonna lose you in a way and you know, it's also you're not a long be, song too like it's like seven it's, minutes long yeah so so I, me personally i love it i think it's awesome um but i can see how some people there is uh, there is a a part of the the fandom of merciful faith that feel like Melissa was just really unfocused. Me, it's one of my favorite, if not my favorite. I, I don't, I don't album. see why the fan base thinks it's unfocused. I mean, part of it has to do sort of like when you compare Appetite for Destruction for Guns N' Roses. You got all these different songs from different people coming in. Now, mm -hmm. it wasn't like that for Merciful Fate, but you're also talking about. Um, when a band starts, you you write all sorts of different music and you you try to see what works and what doesn't work. When it got to the point of this works, but you know this is an older song, you know, you, you got eight songs, you got nine songs, whatever it is, seven songs. And you say, this is going to be our first album. So, so a lot of times it's going to sound disjointed, but the songs overall 
are really good on the entire album. So that it, 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 while it may not be a story front to back, it's still a really good album. I mean, we're on the same page there. Right. Um, but I, I, I get where, I mean, even Hank Sherman said, I, I just kept adding riffs into some of the songs because they were just so good, you know? <laughs> and, and and it's almost like, save some of those riffs for another album, but at the same time, that's why Melissa is such a great album. Exactly. So, I, I mean, I'm, I got no criticism there. I think it's awesome. So anyway, <laughs> moving on to track six, that brings us to Gypsy. Um, this is a really great main riff, and the solo fits the track perfectly. Uh, it's a little more simplistic. It doesn't go, you know, fifty different, uh, you know, fifty different riffs. It's it's stays pretty compact. You know, it's one of the shortest tracks on the album. Technically, it is the, the shortest track with vocals. So, you know, because the one uh, far away is kind of a lead in, even though they're not connected, like it's a lead in to the, the, the closer of the album. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, it plays almost like some kind of corrupted waltz, like a, like a faster tempo. There's a, there's a, a danciness to it and it's, it's, you know, succinct and short and it's awesome. Yeah, I, I like the song a lot too. Uh I mean it's got a really cool rhythm and a melody to it that I that it it's it's a good song. Um it's got the trademark solos in between verses. That's one thing that, that Merciful Fate's known for, you know, where they finish singing a verse and there's these, you know, these solos, sometimes they're harmony solos, but you know, and then it goes into the, another verse or it goes into a chorus or it goes into a bigger solo. So there's a lot, you know, that's become a trademark uh, of theirs at this point and the other thing i like about this song is got a really good balance between the the natural voice and the falsetto voice of king on this one so um yeah this this is a good song i mean i in fact i liked it so much i added it to my playlist today because i hadn't I, it wasn't on there before my ultimate playlist i have like almost 2800 songs on my playlist <laughs> shame on you for not having it before you know i it, it's happened a lot, you know, when we've done these head-to-heads and we listen mm-hmm. to the whole albums over and over again. I'm like, oh, you know, I should put this on my playlist because I actually kind of like this song. And it, You know, it, that's one thing that I really love about doing this stuff is that, it, you know, it really makes you respect some stuff that maybe you didn't hear before. Right, exactly. You know, or not necessarily that you didn't hear it, but like you you didn't give it as much of attention. And then when when you're analyzing it, you're like, man, this is really cool. The f- the first time that I put this record back on, so when we were listening to it, when I was listening to it a few weeks ago, I played a dangerous meeting. I knew what to expect when it came to um, what's the song, uh, Nightmare and, and Desecration of Souls. But what was weird about it is I since I hadn't heard it in so long, other than the dangerous meeting, everything almost kind of sounded newish to me. Mm-hmm. And then when I flipped it over and then put on the second side, you know, again, the songs, I hadn't heard them in so long. I almost disregarded the, the songs and said, eh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm past the dangerous meeting, you know, whatever, it's done. You know, but now that I had to, to sit down and focus on it, because I was just listening to it in the background. I wasn't listening to it for other anything other than that. Um, now I realize, you know, where, you know, this song has a good riff, that song has a good riff, this has got, you know, this, and the solos are cool here and there. And yes, so you you gain this respect for these songs that you probably, you know, dismissed early on. 
Uh, and and sometimes, you know, you say to yourself, man, I wish I would have seen this, you know, heard this a long time ago. You did. I did. <laughs> we just didn't. I didn't pay attention to it. You didn't vibe with it. No, I didn't time, vibe with it did. at all. So, but, you know, going back to Gypsy, it's a cool song. I like it a lot. Um, there's a, there's, you know, side two ended up being better than I originally thought it was. Put it that oh, yeah. way. It's we, there's more to talk about. Exactly. <laughs> uh, that takes us to track seven, and the title of this track is debatable. <laughs> so it's listed as, and it's always been, and always will be listed as "Welcome Princess of Hell," but the actual lyrics say "Welcome Princes of Hell," and there's a funny story behind it. So um, when they printed the album. Uh, it, there was a typo, Welcome Princess of Hell. And it's been that way for so long that when they went to reprint these, the you know, the, the remasters and, you know, the the new, I guess not remasters, but re, just re-releases of the album, right? Did they re- uh, the ones that just came out from Metal Blade were um, reprints. Of the original They're just album. reprints, right? They, they okay. took the master tape that came out in 1984 and they ran new CDs and they ran new vinyl. Roadrunner had um, remastered in the 90s or, or the 2000s. Okay, that's that's what I thought. There was a remaster yes. at some point. Well, regardless, on every version, they've asked if they want to change it because it's not correct, but King embraces it. And it's just part of the joke now that it's welcome princess of hell. But, you know, <laughs> the, the actual lyric is, and I, I know a lot of Merciful, fan, Merciful Fate fans already know this. Um, so anyway, the song, um, you really start to notice here even more so, I think. Then some of the earlier tracks, like what the difference between a Hank Sherman penned riff is and a Michael Denner or Denner Diamond or, you know, King Diamond riff is. There are some pretty strong differences. Um, and Like Welcome Princes of Hell has broader strokes in a manner of speaking. Like the it's not as staccato. Um, the track kind of highlights where the different sensibility is you know between these guys so you know it's awesome for its own reasons um though with more of like a a bloody a sabbath bloody sabbath sound again like i i i like it it's not one of my favorites but it's you know it's still a strong track on its own this one for me was a little weird i like the riff when it starts off, but to me, it almost seems like it should have been on a faster rhythm, but this, but the song is, ends up being relatively slow yeah. in the verses. Like the riff should have been on a faster song. That's just the way I see it or, or hear it to me. Um, and so it, then it goes, it gets, it picks up the pace and slows down and picks up pace. So it's another progressive type song with a lot of tempo changes, but, um, it almost feels like it shouldn't do that, and the riff t- lends itself to being something on a quicker kind of song. But so yeah, so that that that's where it throws it off a little bit. But at the same time, it's a really cool riff, you know. Regardless, it's just to me, there's a there's a factor of this song that is like 
a blueprint that the band is going to break up because it it's it sounds a little more accessible um it, you know Hank Sherman wanted the band to become more um mainstream and the the riff itself sounds a bit that way it's it's funny you say that and I'll talk about that more I guess when we're done with the album Okay, and we talk about Hank a little bit, but um, let's let's go on with the rest of the songs, and then we'll we'll get to the final comments on the album. Okay, uh, so that leads us to track eight, the one far away. You know, it's a it's a nice, pretty intro to come to the Sabbath. Uh, it's its own track, and it fades out at the end, so they're not explicitly connected. Um, but in essence, it is a, an opener for the album closer. <laughs> it was an opener for the closer. Mm-hmm. Um, I it, so here's the, the song to me, the riff or the guitar work that sounds most like Judas Priest. It it gives me a reminder to me of Beyond the Realms of Death from Judas Priest. Um, it's a peaceful song. It's got acoustic guitar in it too, and there's some chanting at the beginning with King. Um. But yeah, so when you mentioned Judas Priest early on, this was the one song that to me most harkened back to early Priest. Um, mm-hmm. Although Beyond the Realms of Death is somewhere more like middle Priest or middle early Priest or early middle Priest, if you want to look at it that way. <laughs> not early middle late? No, no, not the early middle late part. That <laughs> comes later. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that leads us into the the album closer, which is "Come to the Sabbath." Uh, I, you know, again, I can see the you know the more defined songwriting between the musicians. This is another King Diamond pen track, like the Oath, um, and it has similar vibes, um, especially on the drums. the The track features another awesome guitar harmony. I love the use of the harpsichord on this track, which is really cool. Like, I love that element being added in um you know it's something of a sequel to melissa from the first album uh so we we get a melissa track in at least the first three albums i can't remember if they they kept it going from there on um but uh you know they invoked her name at the end so uh which which one is it um is that off of the third album where he says is that you melissa that's that's the final track of the album right um i don't know i have to look at it um it's not the final track because the final track on the on the reunion one which was in the shadows that was the um a re-recording uh return of the vampire with um lars Ulrich on drums but was was that released on the initial release of the album, though, or was that a bo- that was a bonus track? Yeah, is that you, Melissa? That was the that was track nine. So on the first three uh, Merciful Fate albums, even though there's a nearly t- over ten year gap between no, there's no, less than ten years. It's a nine, it's nine year years. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a Melissa song on each one, so there's some continuity there, which is cool. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, I see what you're saying. It's listed as a bonus track on here, but I think it was one of those where if you bought the CD, it was a bonus track. If you bought the vinyl, it was regular kind of thing. Mm. You know, if you okay, bought a cassette, gotcha. you didn't get nothing. <laughs> so, um, 
Except for an awesome box. Yeah, right? <laughs> you just got a, a rough-sounding, very hissy <laughs> recording. You know what, though? Like, I still like that sound because it's very nostalgic. I can understand if you're, you know, not into that. But there's something, when you grow up listening to cassettes, there's something I hate, about I hated it. cassettes. But the funny <laughs> thing is I had a shitload of them because uh-huh. I took all my CDs and put them on cassette because that's what I had in my car because I didn't have a CD player at the time. Yeah. They weren't They weren't very popular. So I always did you know like a, a not a high fidelity like i didn't use those 20 dollar cassettes to make an album but i always used tdks it was a a particular style i can't remember uh it was not the basic level it was the next level up and i never used that that little dolby switch i hated that it made it sound everything <laughs> muffled I'm like, oh well, you know, it doesn't. I don't have a hiss, but I can't hear shit. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> it muffled everything. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, um, cassettes were not my favorite, even though I had to use them in my car. It's it's all I knew when I was a kid. I mean, it, we had vinyls and we would listen to them in the house. But when you were on road trips and stuff, it was cassettes. So it was, it, there's a nostalgia to it, but anyway, continuing on with the album. <laughs> so, yeah. So come to the Sabbath. I like the song a lot too. Um, it's got a very cool riff. I like that riff a lot. Um, it really, it, it's funny because it reminds me of another song, but I just can't figure out what song it reminds me of. I can't put the finger on it. Um, and maybe if I listen to some more in the car, I'll, I'll, it'll hit me. And then one day I'll just blurt something out randomly in the middle of the show saying what that song was from. But, uh, um, right now I can't figure it out. Um, this song has a crap load of time changes on it. Um, it's something, this is something that Merciful Fate on this album really, really embraced a lot of their, the progressive elements. Um, and to me more so than the first, but you know, I for the for the longest time I was pretty blind to what progressive metal sounded like or or what it, it what the the um, structure was meant to be because when you think about it a lot of uh, thrash metal it's very progressive in terms of certain things like when Lars Ulrich says that Dyer's Eve was progressive that to me wasn't a progressive song but there's other songs that Metallica does that. I would consider progressive in style, um, just thrashy. So, um, that, that's something to me on this album, merciful fate totally went for. Um, and I have some more comments to say about the, 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 the whole album as the album as a whole. Do you want any, do you want to say anything about the album? Yeah. I mean, to kind of wrap things up, uh, you know, just seven months after this album came out, band split up due to musical differences it was a little more focused like i said in songwriting than melissa uh with fewer ideas and stop and start writing um but you know it focused is is not a bad thing (laughs) so um it's a little heavier and more cultish than its predecessor. Um, but moments can feel like the band was kind of going in two very different directions in its future, which obviously due to the fact that they broke up, you know, obviously they did go in two very different directions. So it's funny because your opinion of it, you continue to use the word, the, the term cohesive, 
where for me, when I listen to it, and I don't know if it's because I, I have a history with them or not, this is a weird way to put this. This album, to me, is a huge jump forward when it comes to songwriting. More mature. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, it almost feels disjointed, very much like on the first on the first side where it was two songs that were straightforward, two songs that were more progressive and more time changey, whatever you want to call it. Um, and in that that element continued on side two. Um, so it, it was to me, it feels disjointed. It's it, like you said, there's two different kinds of styles of songwriting that are heading in two different directions. Well, maybe I wasn't quite clear when I say. Fo- focused in the songwriting i almost mean on a per song basis okay so okay. each song it doesn't have like 50 ideas in it it has five or six good ones or less maybe maybe like three four good ones but as an album that I, and i realized that what i was saying at the end it was it was a little contradictory um there does feel like two different directions in the album because of the songwriting between Hank Sherman and then what Dinner and um, and Diamond were doing with their songwriting. So it does feel disjointed in that way. But at the same time, it feels per, on a per song basis more cohesive. Okay, I get that, and I, I can see that. Um, so the one thing that that I that does stand out to me because of all the progressive elements is that Kim Rose, the drummer, it almost seemed like he was a little bit out of his league in 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 this uh, on this album, and you'll understand why when we get to Fatal Portrait. Um, so. Uh, that may be one of the reasons why King didn't invite him to be part of this band. Who knows? Uh, maybe he met Mickey D and said, you know, I want you to be my drummer because my band just broke up. Who knows what the story is in reality. But um, Kim Ruz wasn't part of the project, even though um, the other, you know, Timmy Hansen and, and Michael Denner were. Um, so overall for me, in my opinion, this album is kind of a letdown compared to Melissa, uh, which is a, is a classic album. Um, I personally think, you know, and I don't, you know, you, you brought up the fact that there's this, this legion of fans out there, you know, it may be a small legion, but there's a legion of fans out there that, that don't necessarily um, appreciate everything about Melissa. Um, well, it's, it's not even that. It's just that, they don't view it like there's a lot of people and I in doing research on this. There's a lot of people that think that don't break the oath is the best merciful fate album. Well, it's nuts. on a lot. It's on a <laughs> lot of lists as the best. And I can't, I can't say that they're wrong because you know, my personal opinion is different, but I, I mean, I, when I listen to it, I don't, I don't enjoy it near as much as I do Melissa. I think I personally enjoy Melissa the best, and I've listened to every one of these albums from Melissa to Nine all the way through many times at this point. And I don't know, I just still really like the rawness and the the songwriting that's on Melissa. But I really do appreciate and especially kind of deep diving into it more, I really do appreciate Don't Break the Oath, and I think it's a very, very good album. Yes, I definitely do appreciate it more than I did back when I first got it. So the, the last thing I want to say about this, uh, when we talk about this, the 
because I also had some contradiction in what I was saying. I did say that the songwriting was a huge jump forward, very much into terms of how you're saying there was a cohesiveness within the song. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that the band, because they were breaking up, did they, they, they took a step in the wrong direction and, and there was a lot of, like like I pointed out, and you you agreed to, it was disjointed in terms of one guy going one way and another, and the rest of the band going the other way. Um, so compared to the first album, to me, that that's where this album lacks. Um, and in, in in reality, overall, I believe it, it it lacks better melody than Melissa. I think Melissa has a lot of really good melody throughout it, a lot of good hooks. You know, I, I always talk about how much of a hook guy I am. I think there are more hooks in Melissa than there is in Don't Break the Oath. That's, I mean, that's really subjective, though, as far as like right. what it, you Right, it is subjective. That's my opinion. So, but we're not talking, we're not comparing this to Melissa at this moment. We are comparing it to Fatal Portrait. So, Fatal Portrait, um, we've already talked about who's in Merciful Fate. So, uh, King Diamond... You know, uh, Merciful Fate breaks up. King Diamond puts together his new band called King Diamond. Um, and he he enlists Andy LaRock as one of his guitar players. But Michael Denner and Tim Hansen came to be part of the band as well from Merciful Fate. And as I mentioned before, Mickey D, who is now part of Scorpions and he spent 25 years with Motorhead, um, is the drummer on this album. Um, Fatal Portrait came out on February 17th, 1986. It was produced by King Diamond, Rune Oyer, and Michael Denner. It was released on Roadrunner Records, and it was recorded at Soundtrack Studio in Copenhagen, Denmark. Now, what I mentioned before, um, if you remember when we were talking about Don't Break the Oath, on this album, all the music and lyrics were written by King Diamond, except for Sharon, Halloween, and Haunted, which were co-written with Michael Denner music-wise. So King Diamond wrote all the lyrics. Those three songs, Michael Denner added some <laughs> guitar parts. You called so, it Sharon, but it's it's Karen. Is it Karen? I always Car- call it Sharon. I've always called it Sharon. No, it's Karen. I don't care. I'm calling it Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> the, like Sharon Osborne is the, the boatman of the River, river Sticks? No. No, she's a she's a Karen. <laughs> so, like, uh, so, Car- so Karen's a Sharon, and Sharon's a Karen. Exactly, and <laughs> and Celtic Frost plays for Boston Celtics. Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no, right. for for real, it's it's Karen, and, and I I always thought when I when I was a little kid and reading it, it was Charon, but it's it's actually Karen, and he says it in the song too. That tells you how much I paid attention to the words. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> I know. You know what the thing about with the words is. I, you know, like you, you do a really good job about like deep diving into the lyrics and the words and stuff like that, and reading all that stuff. Uh, I can't read the lyrics on the way home because I'm driving. <laughs> that would be dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> I've done it a few times. It doesn't work very well. Um, so I don't, I don't get into the lyrics as much as I used to. Um, cause back in the day when I was sat down and listened to albums, I would pull out the booklet. So if it was on vinyl, I put out the, you know, you pull out the inner sleeve. If it's on CD, you pull out the booklet and you just, I would read the lyrics to every song 
and sing, you know, and try to sing along because that was the fastest way to learn it was just try to read the lyrics and sing along at the same time so that you can learn the song. Yeah. Um, but I don't have the time to do that shit nowadays. And, and I, and if I, if I didn't learn it back in the day, I'm not going to learn it now. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, so those three songs were written with Michael Denner as well. So, all right. So let's get on with this one. Uh, the first song on Fatal Portrait is The Candle, and it starts off with a lot of the songs at the beginning. Um, <clears throat> all right, so it has some bottom-end keyboards at the beginning of the song. Um, almost kind of harpsichordish, but it, you can tell it's a keyboard kind of thing going on. Um, it's a really cool sound. Uh, it's got a spoken word intro that comes in. It tells a little brief story about what um, what's the song is about what the album is going to be about sort of thing. I, I didn't, you can probably explain that a little bit better to me if, if you've read the lyrics. Um, I, I, I really think that this intro to this song should be a standalone track because it does literally fade to black. And then the song starts from there. So, um, but once the song kicks in, you can see a little bit more straightforward in style than uh, Merciful Fate was, um, but it's still very much King Diamond-esque. Uh, you get the sense, listening to the song, that you can you almost feel like King Diamond's now free to do whatever he wants to do, um, and, and that that definitely is prevalent throughout the album. Um, definitely less progressive, but still very European sounding, or maybe I should say Scandinavian sounding as far as metal is concerned. Uh, maybe that's more definitive of the kind of style that we're listening to in this uh, King Diamond writes in, but uh, you maybe have a better explanation for that than I do. Well, so story-wise, this is part of one story that is told over five tracks. So the first four tracks and Haunted, the final track on the album, uh, make up the story of uh, Molly. So we're going to kind of explore that as we go. You're talking about the Molly that works for us at the front? No, 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 never mind. No. <laughs> um, Molly, Molly's great, by the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> like so, a nice person. <laughs> not, a, not a haunting ghost that's no, not vengeful a haunting ghost. towards your mother? Um, so... <laughs> Well, I don't know. Maybe she is. <laughs> we have to ask her. <laughs> so as far as the story goes in this particular track, um, the narrator sees a face in every candle he burns, and it speaks one word to him, Jonah. Um, the, the you know, that's about as much of the story as we get here. Um, the, the first two solos by Michael Denner uh, and the final one by Andy LaRock are just awesome. Um Timmy Hansen's bass line really adds a lot of life to this track. Um, so, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Like, it has kind of a, a – it's not an American sound. You know, it's it's not it, – it has that um, – there's a, there's a melodic sense to it, but the sensibility is obviously more geared towards what story is being told and how the music goes along with the lyrics. It's very lyrically driven. But King is a multi-instrumentalist, and he can, he can you know, add a lot of dimensions to it where, you know, he was restricted a lot to 
what riffs were being written before and adding the lyrics in via that direction. Um, and you see some of that change with the second album with um, uh, Don't Break the Oath, which we just spoke about. But now here, this is a fully invested king in, in you know all aspects of the music. And so I, I, I get where you're going with what you're saying is that there's that kind of more European flair to it. Okay, so um, that leads us to the Jonah, uh, which has got another quiet little haunting intro and another brief story. Um, this song to me, once it kicks in, is very Black Sabbath sounding to me. Um, but of course, you throw in that King Diamond twist to it. So, um, I, you know, in the past, I never gave this song much thought, like we talked about with some of the other songs on Don't Break the Oath. But listening to it this week, it's definitely better than I thought it was. Um, I really think the guitar solos on the song are really, really cool. And I can tell the difference between Michael and Andy playing uh, their styles right away. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah, they're Michael, vastly different. Oh, yeah. And Michael still plays with that humbucker sound. He, he plays a Gibson guitar. Um, Andy, um, in the pictures, plays a BC Rich. Uh, he has a little bit more of a fluid sound. Um, and, and when you think about it, I mean, Michael to Denner to this day still plays Gibson guitars. The humbucker sound um, is something that that once a guitar player kind of falls in love with that sound, that is their obsession. Um, Zach is obsessed with it. Slash has it. Ace Freely has it. All these Gibson guitar players um, have it. Uh, Kirk Hammett um, has it to some degree, even though he he changed, you know, uh, to, um, uh, what was it, the... Uh, what guitars did they play forever? He's back to playing Gibsons now. Oh God, damn! I should know this. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, ESP. So he played ESP guitars, and so his sound was never exactly. Even though he plays humbucker pickups, it's not the same if when it's on a Gibson guitar. Um, so enough of that production stuff. Uh, so you can tell the difference between Michael and Andy's playing, and it's so obvious, and it's really good because that you 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 pick up on that so when you're listening to the song you know yeah this is this guy and this is that guy and you really enjoy that part of it um so i think this is a really cool song myself yeah one thing about andy the rock is um i first knew him from death he he played on my favorite death album um and i'm blanking on the name <laughs> was it the last one no 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 hold on which is funny, just like I blanked on Metallica and you, Death is your favorite band. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, the the last few days, well, actually this whole week, has been very draining. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, know. <laughs> I can see the album cover. You know, it, it's so frustrating when this happens because it's like, I should know everything about this. And when it's something it's so simple, when you can't think of individual thought patterns, um, <laughs> um, it, it kills me. But Andy LaRock played on that album, and um, he has a very unique sound. So, like, 
not to go too much into it, but Chuck wrote all the songs. He he played the the guitar parts on everything except for he wanted Andy to come in and write the or I mean play the solos. So he didn't even really prepare him very much for it. He basically gave him a few bars of where the song was going and then and then Andy would play the solo. And it gave it really kind of a cool flair, but you can tell anything he plays on, he has this very unique style and um you know it just it's just something about him that he he's very recognizable in everything he does but anyway um so the jonah going back to the 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 track that we're supposed to be talking about (laughs) um you know it starts off in a kind of a similar manner to the candle with like a moody ambient opening with spoken words um you know the the solo and dual harmony in the middle i think are just awesome um but the the lyrics in this one continuing the story from where we left off um the narrator finds a book with a spell that will break or uh, sorry the narrator the narrator finds a book that will break the spell uh and free the girl that he sees in the candle uh and she shouts hear my story at the end of the song so basically she leads him in the direction of of what will free her and that's kind of you know it's kind of step by step we're not getting a ton of the story at a time and that's kind of what i like about it too is that it's not just overloading you with tons of information all of it's kind of memorable and very succinct like a couple of the tracks as we're going to go into the in the second half of the album um they tell one story per per track and I, I kind of like that where it's it's a little more simplistic um, but at the same time it's it's not simplistic musically it's more simplistic nothing ever lyric. simplistic musically when it comes to King <laughs> yeah so. it's 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 simplistic lyrically but not like not like pop music but it more so than what we were getting it with with merciful fate right exactly so that leads us to the portrait, uh, which is again another cool song, um, and I, I. It's a funny thing about this album, you know. One of my favorite songs is later on in the, in the album, and I never really paid a lot of attention, a lot of attention to the the, the beginning of this album. Um, although I did hear the portrait enough, uh, that that's like I said, that's a cool song. Um, but it's one of those things where I was like, man, this is better than I thought it was, or this is better than I remember, uh, or better than I want it to be, really, because I'm like, I, I ignored it for so long that I don't want it to be good because now I have to listen to it, you know? Uh, so um, the thing I like about this song is that King really uh, embraces his falsetto uh, a lot on this song, uses it more than his main voice. Um, but the cool thing about it is that it's not the high, high, high falsetto. It's it's he uses it in a little bit lower portion of that upper register, you know. So it's like early, middle, late. <laughs> so, um, but I really dig the melody of the verses on the song and the way King's voice comes almost rises to a fever pitch, and then he brings it back down for the second part of the verse. There's a lot of really cool tricks that that King does on this song, uh, melody wise and 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 singing vocally wise, um, and the riffing and the solo on this song are outstanding as well. So 
Yeah, as far as the continuation of the story goes, um, so our our host, Molly, tells the story of her evilly jealous mother who locked her in the attic, uh, dying at only four years old. She, The mother then painted her portrait to keep her immortal and never aging. The, the girl possesses the portrait, which is then burned by the mother and then sealed with an ancient rhyme. Uh, now free, Molly seeks to see her mother again, and it, I, that's we're getting like the bulk of the story here. And the music, I think, kind of portrays that as well because it's very hectic and, and um, menacing in a way, where the first couple were kind of leading you into that, that you know, suspense part of the story well now we're getting the story we're getting the what happened and i think musically it's really cool to hear that progression from the candle to the jonah to this one which is much more exciting i would say um you know it starts off with the ambient sound again but only like a little taste and then the song just blasts off and that's what's really cool like it just the pacing of this album is very well done in the first half. King Diamond is a master storyteller. He really should be more of an author. Um, but then again, he wouldn't be using his skills because he's a, you know, like you said, a multi-instrumentalist. Um, but I think he should, he should really put these stories into a word format beyond lyrics, because I think it, it would, you know, he would be a, a, a modern day horror storyteller but in the true genre of horror as opposed to, you know, uh, and I don't want to say Stephen King because Stephen King is a different, is a different, uh, no, I think, I think type I, I get what you're saying. Like I, I, I think Abigail could mm-hmm. be a really cool movie of some sort. Right. Um, them and, uh, conspiracy make up kind of one story that, you know, like there's, there's, musicians that became or involved in film like Rob Zombie obviously oh, yeah. so uh, not saying he wants to do that and he's getting up in age but at the same time no, like you know what would be cool you know what's a new thing that, that a lot of people are doing now these graphic novels mm-hmm. King King Diamond should do some graphic novels based on his albums that yeah. would probably be really cool but anyway we move on <laughs> um, so then there's Dressed in White uh, which is another cool chugging riff to open the song. Harmony solos throughout the song, very Merciful Fate-esque. Um, it's, another, it's, a, it's a cool song. Um, I'm sure there's more to it lyrically that you would can, you can describe better than me. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it really takes off right where the por- portrait left off. The Ghost of Molly's now free. Um, you know, that's really about it as far as the story goes um you know it it doesn't need to be very story heavy because it's kind of representing that moment of freedom for the character you know it brings a a sense of fear a sense of dread in an interesting way um you know it's it's more simplistic track vocally it repeats a lot of the same things over and over um but that's because it's more musically driven it's more guitar and solo heavy uh or guitar driven and solo heavy and you know um from a storytelling perspective it's it's kind of that um 
the calm before the storm per se because you're not getting you're you're like you're she's free but what's going to happen next what's going to happen when she sees her mother again so that's kind of like it's cool mm-hmm. but we're we're about to take a detour unfortunately from this particular story and move into a few different stories it's kind of weird how we how we just like stop yeah, the little story mid album yeah. uh, and and then picks it up at the end. Um, so song number five, uh, as you so eloquently pointed out, is <laughs> called Karen. Uh, <laughs> um, that is that's a that song's got a cool chug and riff to it. I, I really really like that riff. Uh, it's I, what I consider to be a bit of a head bopper. Um, it definitely gets you going. Um, it's uh, there's a little bit of progressiveness to this song, um, but for the most part, it's relatively straightforward in, in his delivery. I like this song. Um, it's it just the fact that it turns in, it gets you to that start doing that head bopping thing, uh, you know, or as I call it head bopping because it's not it's not straight head banging. That's not what this does. This, you're this is the one where you, you know you, you're kind of just sitting there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like, agree yeah, with these. You know? um, <laughs> exactly. So I that's the I like this song for that. So reason. yeah, I mean this is the first track that's not part of the the Molly storyline. Um you know, it starts off with, you know, a shout and this galloping riff that I I really enjoy as well. Um you know, it's got uh Michael Denner as a co-writer like you mentioned, so there is some merciful fate in it. Um and as far as the the content you know, it's it's still following an occult theme, but you can see now, like I mentioned earlier, that King is interested in the cult of many cultures and not simply, you know, we were talking about Christianity before or Satanism, uh, as it were, with with don't break the oath. Well, now we're getting a cult from all different kind of cultures. Karen, as some of you might know, is the boatman of the river Styx who ferried souls to Hades. So comes from Greek culture. So really cool to see the occult of, of the world in a lot of the stuff that he does, you know, in the future where, you know, a few of the albums coming up are one story being told like Abigail, them conspiracy, but stuff that came after, you know, is not as, in is unified into one story and he would tell just occult themed stories through the music which was cool yes very cool uh, i mean again master storyteller um the, the fact that he can tell a story from a different uh region of the world that he's not from he's, you know you you know that he's a a learned human uh, and and he knows a lot of different things, and and that, and it's it's basically been throughout his career that he's done all this, and and it's just it's to me it's fascinating um, all the different things that he talks about. And yes, they're all occult related, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I I believe that you know you, people in general should understand all parts of life because that's when excuse me, <clears throat> when you don't know about something and, you know, you start to preach against it, you don't know what you're talking about. You you have, there's an ignorance there that, uh, you know, people try to share and you just make yourself look that much stupider 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I rant on a tangent. <laughs> um, moving on to uh, Lurking in the Dark. Um, another cool song with another nod to Merciful Fate uh, as it has that in-between verse soloing that Merciful Fate was so popular with. Um, the solo on this song to me is outstanding as it goes from Andy to Michael very smoothly. And this is one of those where it's not so obvious to, to, to hear the differences, but yet, you know, you subtly can tell that it went from one to another. Um, this is, this is a really cool song, uh, in that regards. It's, it's one of these where all of a sudden I'm realizing, man, all these songs are, you know, are cool. They're really, really good. Um, so it definitely, um, it's cool to see that King Diamond has been, you know, uh, unchained, if you will. Yeah, I mean, it. I, I like the opening because it starts off with a howl, a howl, a howl um, and it ponders, you know, what lurks in the dark. It's a simple concept, but it's how many how many times in your life when you say say when you were a kid, were you sitting there in the dark? And there's this feeling of you don't know what's there. It's very creepy. You know, it's it's a universal concept that I think pretty much everyone gets. Um, you know, the solo reminds me a lot of, like, early solos from Dio, which I really like. Um, it's another just really good track. But what, what I think hit hit me here when i was listening to this album a few times was uh, you know you you have the molly story at the beginning then you have karen and now we're exploring the concept of what what lurks in the dark um it feels almost like an anthology series like you know back when you used to watch like tales from the crypt or something like that where um each each story was different but unified with the same kind of vibe um you know there was a unifying factor with say the crypt keeper in that show um but there they this the the crafting of the stories was all very similar and that's that's what we're getting here so it, it does have an anthology kind of feel to it which i i thought was a cool concept cool i get that i, I can see that where you, where you come from with that all right so that brings us to my favorite song on the album which is halloween um this is the first song that i heard from king diamond after he had left merciful fate now he had released no presents uh for christmas prior to this album coming out but um this was the first thing that i heard um and i mean to me this is the epitome of what king diamond is i really really like the song it's got a killer riff to it um it's just a fun song, in my opinion. Um, you know, great melody, great riff. Uh, you know, when I think of King Diamond, this is the first song I think mm. of. So um, it, may, it may not be the first song that other people think of, but it is for me. Um, so I just, I just think there's a cool song about Halloween. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so I have to, I have to mention this. Overkill totally ripped off this riff. They have a track called "The Weight New High." in or new high and lows off of wfo and it's the same riff um it sounds cool but like it's something just to note so yeah listen to halloween and then and then you know just listen to the opening riff and then listen to uh the weight new highs and lows and you'll be like oh wow 
Um, <laughs> so um, this is another uh, Michael Denner King Diamond track. And it's funny how this side of the album has such simpler tracks lyrically. Um, but, I mean, I still really enjoy them a lot. And it's no slight because they're, ju- they're just more catchy. And that's probably why it sticks out to you so much more, too, is because it is a really catchy song. Um, it, the hook? It's like yeah. I've always said, the hook. Um, I mean, that, <laughs> that's not something that universally appeals to everyone. A hook is, is important. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, people have different musical tastes and, you know, I enjoy some really complex songs for the reason that they're complex. I, I just enjoy that. But there is something always to be said for a song is going to be much more massively appealing if it has a good hook. You're 100 percent right there. Um, so. Yeah, it's it's a cool song. I mean, I I don't have a lot more to say about it. I I did it doesn't stick out to me nearly in the same way to, that it does to you. Um, but I I always enjoy it. Yeah, it's it's one of those songs like, you know, it's like the first time you you know, someone heard Enter Sandman. It's going to mm. stick with them. You know, the first time someone heard uh Paranoid from Black Sabbath. It just sticks with you. And you talk about time period, like, you know, in 1970, the first time someone heard Paranoid, they, it's yeah. going to stick with that person, especially if they still continue to like the music. Um, but, you know, for this one, you know, it's like, yes, I've heard other songs from from King Diamond throughout, you know, his career and my life. And there are songs that still, you know, stick out to me differently this is the one that you know it's like if i don't hear this at the end of one of his shows it would be disappointing to me Uh, so i I feel like it's it's a staple right um and and there's always those songs that somehow impacted you in some way more than others like i'll always remember you know you you love metallica so i'll use them as an example um uh black uh Blackened, the first track off of uh, Injustice for All. Uh Um, That opening was one of those that just like, it it hit me in such a way that if I think of Metallica, that's one of the first songs that I'll always think of. Exactly. So there you go. It's exactly the same thing that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, that brings us to Voices from the Past. And that is a really cool instrumental that's on this album. Um, so much so that King Diamond actually plays all the guitars on this uh, song. Uh, so that's that's interesting too. Um, it, it definitely, to me, it's weird. It's one of these solos, uh, or not solos, one of these instrumentals that, even though it's it's uh, you know mid to fast paced in, in tempo, it sounds like an interlude, but at the same time, it definitely stands out by itself. Uh, and to know that King played all the guitars on it, that's pretty cool too. So, I like yeah. that. I, you know, as an instrumental, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you you kind of covered the whole thing because it it is, ju- it, it, in in its own way, you know, in the same way that uh, what was the was the one on the last album, um, the one far away. Yeah, the one um, away. In the same way that that was kind of a, an. Uh, a um, opener for the, the the final track on the album, "Voices from the Past," 
kind of does the same thing, but again, it's not linked to the track. So it's technically not, it's its own instrumental, but it does have a feeling of being like that, that lead in to the next track. Right, exactly. Which the next track is Haunted, um, which has got a nice intro riff. I really like that intro riff. Uh, but it, it, it's a quick time change right off the bat, and then it goes right back to the, the riff. So it's, it, it's definitely almost in the style of, you know, uh, of, of Merciful Fate in that regards, where, they, where they're just changing times and changing riffs and stuff like that. And it And it makes sense because it's, co-written with michael denner um so that might be his input into the song <laughs> um but you know the song the song slows down uh, a little bit in the solo and then comes back for the verse so it's it's one of those songs that you know it's not the most memorable song on an album but it's definitely a solid song that's the way i look at it this is a solid song on this album well what it is is i mean it's the the closer to the story that we started with the first four tracks and there's always a different sensibility in songwriting when you're creating a concept album and this is a half concept album you know realistically so um you know say for instance when you're listening to abigail um the there are highlights of the album but you have to look at it as one album in a way. Like it, it's it's not to be deconstructed in the same way as somebody like say a Motley Crue where they're writing singles, you know. So I, I I totally get what you're saying. It's not it's not the standout track, but at the same time, it is a really good album closer, and it is a good closure to the story that started in the first half of the album. Correct. So. So to kind of close things off, uh, as far as the, the story goes, um, finally Mo- Molly's story is concluded as she meets, uh, or she haunts her mother, driving her to insanity and now permanently haunts the house. So she, um, you know, leads her to the point where she's mentally destroyed, enacting her full revenge. And now her vengeful spirit is free to continue that path um not the not the most positive ending to the story but uh <laughs> well you i know, didn't, I didn't she gets think revenge. molly was going to be nice to her mom though freaking uh, no nah, she wasn't gonna you know celebrate her fifth birthday at the point you know? <laughs> that's just messed up <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so, so both uh, what i like is both solos you know there's a mike solo and then an andy solo and they're both just phenomenal um you know it's still kind of odd to me that you know we waited four songs in between to kind of conclude the story i guess you know in some sense that it's it's what's gonna make you say i'm gonna listen to the whole album to get the story um but i don't know it's kind of a weird choice to me you know you get uh voices from the past is a short instrumental and it could easily just kind of flow there in the middle of the story that's fine whatever um but to deter you know detour into karen and then the you know what's lurking in the dark you know a song about halloween it's kind of weird but overall i still really enjoy it i i to me, it would probably have been good if they were just done one through five and, and be done with it. And they could have made a side two of the record, 
you know, because Halloween yeah. was such a strong song. It should have been like song number two on the album. And then this, the, the story of, of Molly should have been all of side two. So, but you know what? That was, it a, just depends on what you could fit on a, a vinyl too. So. Exactly. All right. So in summary for me, um, the one thing that stands out the most for me is that the musicianship of Andy LaRock and Mickey D uh, was was a dramatic upgrade from Hank Sherman and Kim Russ, and you can hear it all over the album. Um, and and the other thing that you can sense about this album is that King is unleashed by whatever was hold, whatever chains that Hank Sherman was holding him back with. He has completely let go of that, and he's been he's free to do whatever he wants, free to sing about whatever he wants and whatever subject it may be. Um, and the production of this album is, to me, is leaps forward from Merciful Fates, Don't Break the Oath. Um, there's just a lot more time spent on making this a good album. That's the way I see uh, or, or hear it, if you want to put it that way. So I, I, I think uh, it's a solid album front to back. So, you know, I, I agree. I think overall it's a great start to the King Diamond Band and the direction of King's song, songwriting, you know, it's it's a bit of a mixed bag with the three filler songs, you know, in the placement that they are. But as as a whole, it's a really good album. You know, it's not as fleshed out as a story as you would get with, you know, albums that are coming up like Abigail, Them, Conspiracy, the ones I mentioned before. Um, but it's an awesome debut, and in some form and fashion, it does feel like a continuation from Don't Don't Break the Oath, but really like a continuation from the stuff that Michael Denner and King Diamond wrote together, and the couple songs that King Diamond wrote himself. So you, like I said, there was that that kind of disconnect, or you actually said it first. I think was there was the disconnect um, between the two iterations of where. The members of the band saw "Don't Break the Oath" um, to be and where what what Merciful Fate should be, um, but we're getting the more um, focused version of what you know King and and Michael Denner saw it as. Yeah, I mean, so let's put it this way, and I, I said I was going to mention it earlier about Hank Sherman. If you look at the back of the album cover, it's not on the CD, but if you look at the back on the original album cover for Don't Break the Oath, Hank Sherman is in a shirt, or what appears to be a t-shirt, that has got the sleeves cut off, and part of the sleeve is still attached to his arm. Um, and I remember uh, King Diamond in the interview way back in the day talking about how you can even see Hank Sherman was just was being different with everybody in the band. And it, it, it came to a head when he allowed that picture to be put on the album, showing him in a different light, like almost like, you know, how like Graham Bonnet stuck out like a sore thumb from the rest of Rainbow uh, mm -hmm. because he has short hair. Um he, you know, this this was, you know, Hank Sherman's way of saying, I don't give a shit anymore. I'm going to just be whoever I want to be. And, and it's kind of weird because Hank Sherman later on did a project, the, the Sherman uh, Denner project. Denner that was, Sherman. Or Denner Sherman. Um, you know, that was very much in the vein of Merciful Fate. 
Um, and even then, you know, we're talking nine years later, they get back together and he plays he plays with the way he plays. So I guess he just was going through a phase at the time. But it's one of those things where, you know, that phase affected a lot of people around him. So, um, so yeah, so Hank Sherman and King Diamond did not see eye to eye, which is kind of weird that, because now they do see eye to eye. And it's Michael Denner and King Diamond who don't see eye to eye. And that's a shame. Um, because I think they really should, you know, if they're going to get Merciful Fate back together, like they said, like he said, they're going to. Michael Denner should be part of it, but he's not going to be, which is which is sad. But anyway, so what did you think was the the superior album? I think I know which direction you're going to go. <laughs> I, I mean, for me, the, the the King Diamond's Fatal Portrait was the better album. Um, you know. Coming off of Melissa, to me, don't break an oath. Don't break the oath was a disappointment. Even though a dangerous meeting is such a strong song, that for a lot of people it really led the way, and it it it, it disappointed people when Merciful Fate broke up because like oh they had this great album, but to me if you if you look at the totality of things to to me it's a weaker album than Melissa. That's my opinion. But then when you have you know, Fatal Portrait, you see the strengths that King Diamond has and what he was able to do on his own. And and including two members of Merciful Fate, it was such a strong album, in my opinion, that it's definitely the better album. What do you think? So this is a tough one for me because I, I view them as very close together. So, you know, what puts one over the edge, that, that was a hard decision for me, actually. Um, I think... What I, I really like Fatal Portrait as, you know, the the five songs that make up the Molly story. I think that's really cool. I, I, I've got to take a couple points off in a way, in my mind, you know, for splitting up the story. But I get, I, I get why they did it, you know. And even if you're, say you're watching an anthology film... Um, you know, where they're telling multiple stories in one film. Horror movies do that a lot. Um, a lot of times it'll start off with one story and then it'll conclude the movie with the ending of that one story where there's a lot of stuff in between. So it has that similar vibe. So it's tough to, to say. But, you know, I don't necessarily agree with your view on, on Don't Break the Oath where it's it's a weaker album. I don't think it's a weaker album in any way. I think it, it it is a bit more mature in a lot of ways. There is just some dissonance between, you know, two camps of what the the view of the album should be, or the, what the view of the of the band should be. Um, but it wasn't quite there yet. You could see the the cracks forming um, in hindsight. But I think if you you heard it when it first came out, you you don't know all this stuff. You don't. I mean. You you can perceive it how you will, but you don't you don't know all the ins and outs of where they were breaking up, etc. I think in a, in a way, don't break the oath is the you know we did an episode a long time ago about in flames where we compared Colony to Clayman, and you know when we listen to 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 Colony, you you hear it's still little it, you know it's it's refined from where they started. But like, there's still room for growth, and then they hit that that height of maturity in their songwriting with um, Clayman, and I think that 
in the course of two albums, they kind of did that same thing with Don't Break the Oath and, and Melissa, where Melissa's a little more raw. There's a lot of really cool concepts. Um, I I mean, I love it. I Like I said, it's, it's my favorite Merciful Fate album. But um, Don't Break the Oath is really well done for what it is. And I can see why a lot of people view it as their favorite. For me, though... It, there's something about it that tips more in the favor of a fatal portrait. And as much as I, I like if, if I would say you don't break the oath is an eight over 10, it, you know, fatal portrait is like a 8.2 over 10. You know, it's just, it's, it's a little more refined. It's, it knows the direction it want to go or it wants to go. It's not quite there yet because in Abigail, we'd get a full story from beginning to end. Um, but fatal portrait is King really embracing his direction and what he wants to do musically. And everyone else was on board for it. And I, and I love that. So I'm just barely going to give it to, to <laughs> fatal portrait. That was a long diatribe to get through to to, to skimming Fatal Portrait in, into the into the final head to head. Well, I mean, I think it needed to be said. <laughs> no, it, no, it, it did, it did, it, and I I I don't agree exactly the same as you do, but I can understand where you're coming from with that. So um, that's cool. I like that. All right. Well, that brings us to our big four for this evening, and. If you may have guessed it, it's a King Diamond-related Big Four, but it is the Big Four Merciful Fate songs. Um, so uh, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Why don't you go first? All right, I'm going to go first. <laughs> okay, so my number four song. All right, so the, first, the it was tough for me because the, the stuff that came out in the 90s for Merciful Fate and in, in, in the early 2000s, to me, I never gave it a chance. Never gave her a chance. I I never gave never it a gave chance. It a chance. Yeah. Um, because uh, although that's not true, I, I like the album in the shadows. Uh, you know, and then after that, it, there was just this whole thing between King Diamond and Mercer Faye, which one's going to come out, which album's going to play, you know, which band's going to tour. So um, I really kind of got lost in it. Plus, at that time, I you know changing jobs and, and all that stuff. My whole life was in flux in the late 90s, so I lost touch with a lot of things going on with Merciful Fate and King Diamond. So that being said, my big four skews one little one way, but my number four song is Egypt, which is off of the In the Shadows album. I think that's a really cool song. Um, definitely one that I really get into when I, when I hear it. Um, my number three song is Evil, off of Melissa, I just love the love the riff. Love a lot of things about that song. Uh, just really, really cool song. Um, number two is Curse of the Pharaohs. Um, just I love that song. I mean, that it, it's got a really cool hook. Um, I like the way Metallica does it on their Merciful Fate comp uh, medley. So um, that's a really cool song, but. If you if you've been listening to this evening, um, a dangerous meeting is my number one song. I, it's the first song that I really really you know kind of grasped when it came to Merciful Fate. Uh, it's one that just just hooked me in. Uh, so that is my number one Merciful Fate, big four Merciful Fate song. 
Very good. I mean, we have some similarities. Um, my number four uh, is off of Don't Break the Oath. It's Gypsy. Uh, I've always really liked that song. It's a li- it's a little more simplistic than some of the other stuff, but I I just really enjoyed it. Something about that that particular riff, uh, uh, you know, some kind of dance of the dead, uh, you know, vibe to it. It's it's always really cool to me. Um, number three is the same. Uh, I can't remember. I think you had it as number four is Egypt off of In the Shadows. Um, it's just a really good song. Um, you know, I, I, I like, and I'm going to go old as well for my, my, you know, my number one and two, but I, I like a lot of stuff off of the later albums. I just don't enjoy it as much. And Egypt was a really cool, like, you know, I didn't mention, I mean, I didn't get into, um, Merciful Fate and King Diamond until very recently, last couple of years, last four years, I would say. Um, but, um, when you see a band breaks up and then reforms, you never know how that's going to be. And when Merciful Fate reformed, yeah, they took a lot of what King Diamond was doing before, um, you know, and he had he had nearly a decade of experience at that point in songwriting, etc. But um, but you never know what's going to happen. And the, the, you know, starting that album off and hearing such a good track it's very encouraging and it it leaves a good taste in your mouth you know for for what's coming next and that's one song that just always stuck with me um my number two is black funeral off of melissa i just it's an awesome song um you know there's a lot of ideas there but for me it works i i just really enjoy it i i don't care if you know he kept adding riffs and that kind of stuff. It, it works for me. <laughs> um, and my number one you had on your list as well, Evil off of Melissa. Um, it's just, I, I love the story. I love the, the, the vocals. Um, you know, it's a little bit more harsh vocals, I guess, in a way for, for King through most of the song. He uses the, the um, falsetto to accent a lot of stuff. And it just really works for me. It's I think it's it's one of their best songs. Obviously, I think it's their best song, um, but it's it's one of those that universally across the board, I think most people put on their list. It's a great song. I like Evil a lot. Well, King Diamond fans, that's our big four Merciful Fate songs, and that's the end of the show. If you want to hear more from us, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. If you catch us on YouTube, be sure to leave us a comment, or if you can, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. If you use Spotify, be sure to check out our playlist from all our Greatest Hits episodes, and remember to tune in to the next episode where we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe, and always turn it up to 11. See ya.